0: Please be seated and turn with me again to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We'll be looking in particular at verses 2 to 6 at the beginning of this uh, chapter. And let's pray. Father, apart from your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we can do nothing, and that includes hearing. You speak to us through your word, so we pray for the spirit of Jesus, who himself submitted himself to your will. And help us, Father, with the same spirit of submission to come before you, that we might hear you speak through your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you stopped
1: stealing cars? Yes or no?
0: Have you stopped stealing cars? It's a bit of a trick question, isn't it? If you say yes, it means you've been stealing cars in the past. If you say no, it means you're still stealing them. Uh, Jesus was once asked a trick question, or maybe more accurately, a tricky question. He was once asked, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And it was a, a question designed to trap Jesus, wasn't it? Because if he said no, he would be accused of rebelling against Rome, the occupying forces. But if he said yes, he could also be accused of being a lover of Rome and a traitor to Israel. And even in some people's eyes of putting Caesar as Lord instead of God. But if you know the story, and you can find it in Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17, If you know the story, you know that Jesus saw through their hypocrisy. He knew that they were trying to trap him. It wasn't a serious question. And he said to them, why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius, a coin. Let me look at it. And when they brought the coin to Jesus, he asked them, whose image is this on the coin? Whose image is it? And whose inscription? And they replied, Caesar's, Tiberius Caesar, written on the coin. And Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And the people were amazed at him, Mark tells us. They were amazed at him. And we are still amazed today. Are are you not amazed at the simple yet profound reply that Jesus gave them. We are amazed at the wisdom of God in Jesus, Jesus Christ, who is God's wisdom in human form. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now, there's been a lot of ink spilled over the years, and in fact, in some cases, a lot of blood spilled over the years working out what Jesus' reply means in practice. What does it mean to give to Caesar? What is Caesar's unto God? What is God's? What his words mean for the relationship, the relationship between church and state. And the relationship between the authority of the church under God and the authority of the state under God. Because make no mistake, although church and state have different spheres of authority, they are both God-given spheres of authority. That's the Bible's teaching. They are both God-given spheres of authority. And that means we have an obligation, especially as Christians, as God's people, we have an obligation to recognize and respect both these God-given spheres of authority. But that's not always easy, especially when the two spheres of authority clash, or in some cases actually overlap. Now, if we are Christians today, we know that our citizenship is in heaven. That's what Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 20. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. But we are also citizens of an earthly kingdom. We belong to individual nations. So the question arises, doesn't it, how then are we to live wisely? How are we to live wisely as citizens of a heavenly kingdom while living here on earth as citizens of an earthly kingdom. And the Bible's answer, the summary of the Bible's answer, you find it both in the Old Testament and Proverbs 24, verse 21, and also in First Peter in the New Testament, First Peter 2, verse 17. The answer is to fear God and honor the king. Fear God and honor the king. But what does that mean? What does it mean to fear God and honor the king or even in some ways, as it says in Proverbs, to fear uh, the Lord, the earthly Lord over you? Well, there are two things it doesn't mean. I think it's important to, to clear the ground of the debris before we build on it, to knock away uh, any walls of false belief before we build the, the true doctrine of Scripture. There are two things it doesn't mean, two traps to uh, to avoid if we are to be wise and fear God and honor the king or the government in authority over us. The first trap to avoid is this. The first trap is if we live as if we were not citizens of the heavenly kingdom, to live in this world as if we were not citizens of the heavenly kingdom, to live in such a way so that our Jesus-flavored life Loses its saltiness and we become like everyone else around us. Uh, some uh, months ago, you may remember Kenny Rogan from Hope Church and Abbey Moor came and spoke about chameleons and musk ox to avoid the trap of living like a chameleon, blending in with the world around us. Because you see, it is true, if we do that, if we become a chameleon, that is one way to get rid of the difficulties that living in two kingdoms bring us. To act as if we are only citizens of the earthly one, especially when we are in the workplace or with non-Christians. And this is the trap of cultural assimilation. You know, we become like the culture around us. So that's one way to resolve the difficulties of living in two kingdoms is to become just like the kingdom of the world and forget that we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. But it's a trap to avoid if we are seeking to be faithful Christians. But then the second trap to avoid is this. If cultural assimilation is one trap, the other trap is cultural separation, isn't it? To keep ourselves separate from the world in the sense that we shop only in Christian shops, we go only in Christian holidays, we work only in a Christian workplace, we speak only with Christian people. And like the mosque the mosque ox, the mocks, it's hard to say that mosque oxen in the Arctic Circle, you can see them huddled together. And that is the other way to get rid of the difficulties of living in two kingdoms as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, why we live here as citizens on earth, to act as if we were only citizens of the heavenly one, the trap of cultural separation. But Jesus says we have to avoid both traps. How do I know that? Because Jesus says he is sending us out as sheep among wolves. He doesn't send us out as sheep pretending to be wolves, to blend in with the wolves. And we're not to be sheep who run away from the wolves. And we are called to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. We are called to fear God and honor the king. We are to avoid the trap of cultural assimilation and the trap of cultural separation. And the teacher, Koheleth, the teacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, can help us here. Why do I say that? Well, firstly because he knows the value of fearing God. Look at chapter eight verse twelve. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know this is the this is the confidence of faith, the assurance of faith. I know that it will go better with those who fear God who are reverent before him ultimately however long the wicked person lives however many crimes they commit in the end it will go better for those who fear God and who are reverent who fear before him so the teacher knows the value of fearing God but then secondly he also knows the value of honoring the king of respecting those in authority over us look at verses 2 to 4 of chapter 8 Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Hmm. Now, here in the UK, there are certain groups of people who have to pledge Uh, an oath of allegiance or a pledge of allegiance, a pledge of loyalty to the king, King Charles III. Uh, Judges and magistrates have to do that, and if you're in the armed forces, you have to do that. And in the same way, interestingly, if you want to become a citizen of the UK, so that, say you're a citizen of another country and you want to take out citizenship here in the UK, well, you have to set an exam, but you also then have to make an oath or an affirmation or a pledge either to the king or to the country. There are various wordings you can use. And I think it's interesting that those of us who are born British citizens don't have to make such a pledge or take an oath. Maybe we should. don't know. You can discuss that later, whether that's a good idea or not. But I presume, given our unwritten constitution, there's a kind of assumption or presumption that if you're born a British citizen, then you have certain duties and responsibilities to the government. And to the head of state, which is the king, whether you like it or not. Well, whether or not we take an oath, and that's what's mentioned, isn't it, in verse 2. Whether or not we take an oath, the Bible teaches us that Christians should be model citizens. Law abiding, tax paying, respectful of those in authority over us. And I think it's that last bit, isn't it, which is profoundly counter-cultural today to respect those in authority over us. And how easy and I say this to myself, you know, I like to see the humor in things, but how easy it is for us to join in the mockery and the contempt for those who rule over us. Well, you might say they ask for it. Yes, but that doesn't mean we have to give it. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 and 17, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, who was emperor in the times of the apostles, Emperor Nero, a more wicked, cruel, anti-Christian ruler you could not find in the history of the world. And yet Peter writes, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command, sorry, to commend those who do right. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour God. king or the emperor and paul we read it earlier says something similar doesn't he romans 13 verse one let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which god has established and as well as including the autocratic rule. Dictator rule of Emperor Nero includes the authority exercised today by the government, for example, in Russia under Putin and the government here in Scotland under Humza Yusa and in Westminster under Rishi Sunak. And of course, that doesn't mean we have to approve of and applaud everything they do any more than God approves of everything they say and do. But it does mean... The Bible's teaching is clear, these two spheres of authority are both under God, they're both God-given spheres of authority in church and state. And it does mean, you see, to paraphrase Derek Tidball, that our attitude to government, our attitude to those who are over us in terms of governance and ruling of the state, our attitude to government says something about our attitude to God. But what are we to do then when the government or our boss at work even asks us to do something we don't agree with or is not wise well the teacher says in verse 3 and i'm obviously applying this in a particular way but i think from from whatever preparation i've done and the commentators i've read that this is this is this is certainly part of the thinking behind what the teacher says here what are we to do when we disagree with those over us the teacher says don't do anything in a rush. Don't storm out in a rage and don't get involved in any unwise or wicked schemes against him or her. Don't throw your lot in with Guy Fawkes, however tempted you might be to blow up the Houses of Parliament as Guy Fawkes attempted to do in 1605. Why? Because the King will do whatever he pleases. And whatever you do and a king's word is supreme as it was of course in the past even in the fairly recent past historically speaking in verse four the king's words supreme and you who can say to him what are you doing you might say james we live in a parliamentary representative democracy we do we thank god for that but even in a democracy of course there are times when we disagree profoundly with the government's plans. And there are times when the government seems to do whatever it pleases. No matter how many times we say, What are you doing? And they act as if their word is supreme, and that can happen in the workplace as well, if you're not especially if you're in a big institution like the NHS or in some trying to trying to trying to point out something to a giant bureaucracy. And so far the teacher seems to be saying Keep your head down and keep your mouth shut, the king's the king, and you are not, and we have to say there is there is wisdom in that. there is a time to be silent. there is a time to be silent, Ecclesiastes three verse seven, but there is also a time to speak. there is also a time to speak. And chapter 8, verses 5 and 6 of Ecclesiastes help us and point us in that direction. Chapter 8, verse 5, the beginning of the verse tells us that ordinarily speaking, ordinarily speaking, if we do what the one in authority tells us to do, we will come to no harm. And Paul says the same thing in Romans 13, verse 3. Rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, ordinarily speaking, if we do what the one in authority tells us to do, we will come to no harm. But the second half of verse 5 and verse 6 tell us when we're being asked to do something that is not good or wise or right, that the wise heart will know the proper time and the right procedure for every matter. A wise heart will know the proper time and procedure, for there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. And that word can mean evil or trouble. At work, from the government, from those in authority over us. Uh, The word for procedure is that rich Hebrew word, mishpat. You may remember mishpat, justice. It's that broad, positive word, meaning the right way, the just way, the proper way. And the word for proper time, if you think back to Ecclesiastes 3, this is not the time for your dental appointment. You know, the precise time, the appointed time. This is the appropriate time, the season, the kairos, to use the Greek translation of it. Not chronos, not the time and the clock, but the right time, the appropriate time, the season. Uh, for example, the church council here, the elders and, uh, and Kirsten and the church council, we have decided that now, under God, that now is the kairos time, the season, for us to start planning and praying and looking for a place to call our own under God. I can't give you a precise time. I can't give you a time whenever we'll be in somber, or wherever that is under God, but we're saying that this is the season, the kairos. And so the teacher tells us that the wise heart will know the appropriate time. And not just the appropriate time, but the the right way, the right procedure to go about raising our concerns. Concerns and miseries that arise because of decisions that those over us have taken. And we see this kind of wisdom at work in the Bible, don't we? Uh, our call to worship came from the book of Daniel. And the context was the praise that Daniel gave to God when the revealer of mysteries in heaven, God himself, showed him the meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. And we read in Daniel chapter 2 when he heard that the king had issued such a harsh decree that all the wise men in Babylon were to be put to death, he spoke to the king's commander, Arioch. If you know it, he spoke with wisdom and with tact. He spoke with wisdom and with tact. Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And when Daniel was told the reason the king has had a dream and no one can interpret it for him, did he go into the king raging and wagging his finger, calling him stupid? No, he didn't. He went
1: into the king and asked for time. Asked for time. What did
0: he do next? returned home to his three friends uh, the ones we know better as Shadrach Meshach and Abednego but the original Jewish names Hananiah Mishael and Azariah and he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery and you see in Daniel you see it in Esther in how she approached Artaxerxes she didn't just swan into Artaxerxes you know in her old clothes she didn't even broach the matter at the first feast, but arranged another feast for him to come back. To. There is a proper time and procedure, a kairos moment, and a right way, a just way for every matter, even those matters that weigh heavily on our hearts and cause us misery and sleepless nights. Now, it's important to say, isn't it, that even with the wisdom of Daniel, there came a time. Daniel's loyalty to God, his fear of the Lord meant that he had to disobey the king's command. Remember when King Darius ordered that everyone should pray to him and only to him for the next 30 days? Of course, it was a trap set up by those who were jealous of Daniel, but Daniel did not obey the king's command. In fact, he carried on quite openly praying to the Lord, to Yahweh, three times a day. And he paid the price for his loyalty to God, didn't he? He was thrown into the den of lions. Though God mercifully saved him from being turned into whiskers for lions. You see it in the New Testament as well, don't you? In the Acts of the Apostles. At the Sanhedrin, the powerful Jewish ruling council. Full of the high-level Jewish, the Sadducees. They were aristocratic leaders in the Jewish faith. Uh, the, The chief priests and the high priests came usually from the Sadducees. There was a sprinkling of Pharisees as well, this powerful council in Jerusalem. And they'd given them instructions to stop teaching about Jesus. The apostles didn't. And they brought them in before the Sanhedrin again in Acts 5, verse 29. Stop talking and preaching about this man. We gave you strict orders. Wasn't a recommendation. We gave you strict orders. To stop teaching in this name. They couldn't even bring themselves to say Jesus. Strict orders to stop teaching in this name. How did Peter reply? We must obey God rather than men. They were flogged. The Sanhedrin ordered them again not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then let them go. Acts 5 verse 40. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin, they left this convened court, as it were, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They didn't hide away. They knew what the proper time was. It was a season for proclaiming Jesus boldly, even if that loyalty to Jesus meant they had to disobey the religious authorities. Uh, Ian Provin, one of the commentators, has a couple of quotes here, and I think I think they're very helpful, uh, which is why I'm using them today. Uh, yes, I think they are both on the order of service. Uh, where he says that even though wise people have no intention and have no interest, I should say, have no interest in running deliberately into the jaws of death for no good reason, there will sometimes be good reasons to do so. For God is God and loyalty to God comes first and above all other loyalties. And then secondly, he says this, the biblical writers counsel, that is, advise, commend, due respect for authority, up to a point, and advocate caution and patience. But they do so in the assumption that sooner or later conflict will arise, at which time the worshippers of the living God will have to name as idols what others think of as gods. Yes, the Bible counsels respect for authority up to a point and advocate. They recommend, they commend caution and patience. But they do so. They do so assuming that sooner or later, conflict will arise. No matter how wise you are, even if you're as wise as Daniel, you will not avoid it. You and I will not avoid it. Unless unless we're acting as a chameleon, blending in with the world, or we're acting like a musk, osk. Very hard to say that word, you know. So let me ask myself, as I ask you, firstly, are you and I ready to exercise respect, caution, and patience as we deal with those in authority over us? Well then secondly, and I suspect this is maybe the more pressing question, are you and I ready to face conflict when the time comes? And are we willing to name as idols what others think of as gods because we worship the living God? Are you and I prepared at the right time, the proper time, the appropriate time, the kairos time, and in the right way, the just way to say, for example, that the modern God of self-declared identity is in fact an idol. It's a man-made idol. And like all idols, it's an, it's an idol which does not liberate anybody but enslaves those who worship it. There is a time to be silent and a time to speak. Jesus sends us out like sheep among wolves, not sheep pretending to be wolves, not sheep hidden away from the wolves, but sheep among wolves therefore how does the verse end therefore be wise as serpents and innocent as doves be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves Matthew 10 verse 16 I'm sending you like sheep among wolves therefore be as shrewd as snakes be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves if we belong to Jesus the good shepherd if we are Christians, if we belong to Jesus, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, the sheep that he sends out among the wolves, Jesus who makes us citizens of his kingdom by his death on the cross, and when we put our faith on him, then we are his sheep. We are not our own. Um, there used to be a children's there used to be a children's programme. Where there was a character called, was it Woolly? The sheep who was always breaking out and doing his own thing. We're not to be like that. We're marked, you know, farmers mark their flocks with a a marker, don't they? A blue stripe on the head, a red cross on the rump. We're marked with the cross, the sign of Jesus. We are his sheep. And as Jesus' sheep, we are not to dress as wolves and act like wolves among the wolves. But neither are we to shut ourselves away from the wolves. Jesus sends us out as sheep among wolves and we are to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Until the day when Jesus returns and all the kingdoms of this world become his, all the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, the Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever.
1: Amen. Let's pray.
0: Father, we thank you that you have promised to give wisdom to all who ask. And Father, those verses and that promise in James come in the context of when we face trials of every kind. So, Father, for any who are facing particular trials and feeling weighed down by miseries because of those in authority over them, doing or saying things which are not wise or right or true, Father, we pray that you would help us together to know the proper time to speak and the procedure, the just way to respond. And Father, help us to believe that you will give to us the wisdom you have promised to give us in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our good shepherd, who gave his life for us, the sheep. Amen.